This is Tony. And this is Matt. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. What's going on, Matt? Um, shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> things, things are going on. Yeah. Stuff's getting done. Sure. We're living life, living large. We are, we are. Do you want to do that again? I'm sorry. I... No, no, it's good. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's good. Keep it. It's all good. Keep it rolling. All right. Rolling in the shit. Rolling in the shit. That's... Do you want to elaborate? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I can. Yeah, sure. I've had raw sewage um, flood into my home. End of story. Moving on. Great. <laughs> sorry you've been dealing with that. Yeah. It's all right. How about you? Things all right? Things are going well. Um, I believe we've mentioned this at, but uh, by this point, but uh, Sandra and I are expecting twins. We just had our um, our birth class. What's a birth class? Well, you go and like you sit for eight hours, and they tell you about you know what to expect, sort of day of, you know, uh, if you sure. are doing a natural birth, uh, cesarean. They go through the details. The details. They show you around the hospital a bit. Just kind of prepare you. Make sure you know what door to pull up to 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 get your 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 partner into the building. L- literally. <laughs> oh yeah. Like oh, they're well. like, okay, if 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 it's scheduled, you're gonna show up here and then go park here. If it's not, or if it's on these days, you go to the emergency room. Tell you tell them what's going on. Blah blah blah. Yeah, it's all very like structured huh that i mean you know they don't want you <laughs> looping around the building being like oh where do i park <laughs> um that's kind of nice yeah um and they showed us birth videos uh-huh which uh the most horrifying part was that they are uh 13 year old digital video shot in 4.3 that were stretched to widescreen so <laughs> all of the people looked like these grotesque hobgoblins <laughs> was their motion smoothing turned on just like Oh man, just like really wide stretched faces. The 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 women all looked like they were maybe four feet tall and carrying uh-huh. octuplets, just the way it like it just stretched and skewed everything. It was very distract like, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm supposed to be taking notes and paying attention and I'm like, This this garbage. <laughs> Who shot this? How much restraint did you show by not getting up and be like, I I need to fix this? I, can can I can I get the remote for this? I, TV? I thought about it. I was like, is there a setting? Can we like do we just put this in four three and live with that? <laughs> it's probably like on an auto setting. Yeah. Well, no, because auto settings fix like they do the proper. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was, but yeah, yeah. Maybe they're just those type of people who's just like it needs to fill the TV. Who knows? Yeah, but uh, that's weird. On our little sheet at the end of like how how was the class, and I was like, we could update that video, please. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, the the woman running the class was complaining about it too. She's oh, like, okay. she's like, they don't do that anymore. They don't do that anymore. That's old. Oh, that's not good. Budgetary restrictions. Right? Who knows? That's not on the top of the priority list. I guess. Yeah. Come on, get some Blu-ray in there. Get some. Get, get a 3D birthing video. <laughs> a nice 4K mm-hmm. 3D birthing video oh. with a nice widescreen TV. Get it in 4D and just like spray some goo at people. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. and your seat like shakes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Great. And then Love it feels it. like for the moms, like it's kicking. So like it kicks the seat behind you, and mm-hmm. it's just like kicking you. Yep. There's a little needle in the middle of the back of the seat to like when the epidural goes in. Just there you go. Pokes you in it the spine. Poking you. Yep. 
Perfect. Yeah. We're going to revolutionize the industry. <laughs> and then there's like a bunch of people screaming in your face the whole mm-hmm. time. Sign Love us it. up. Yep. <laughs> I don't know how to segue out of that. But Me neither. How important is it for you to kind of stay current with, I mean, that's sort of on topic of what we were talking about. Yeah. Like how, how, how important is you to stay current with, with the pop culture that you consume? Like, is that something that where you're just like, oh man, I need to make sure I see or listen to or watch this or, or is that something that, cause I know some people are just like, I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I, I think for me, there are varying degrees of priority. Uh, when it comes to movies and television, I'm certainly more informed and aware of what's kind of out there and what people are talking about. I may not always be engaging with it. You know, if it's with TV, it could be a matter of not subscribing to a certain streaming service or, you know, not having cable. So even if I'm behind on actually watching it, I'm, I'm sort of aware and be like, okay, that series looks interesting. Uh, as soon as that's available on Hulu or something, I'm going to jump on it. Film, kind of the same. Uh, life's been busy, so it's been harder to get out to the movies to see stuff. But certainly I'm making a, a checklist for when stuff's on video or on demand. Music is something I've never really been super on top of. Ever? Ever. And I've thought about this quite a bit, not just for this episode, but in general, you know, why that is. And I, I just, I think there's something, I, I never really thought about music the way I thought about TV and film. It didn't excite me as in the same way. Like, uh, you know, even with a band I loved, it, it was, I would never get as excited for their next album as I would for a favorite director's next movie or a new season of a show I really liked. And I don't really know why that is. Um, you know, when I was younger, I was the oldest uh, I mean, I'm still the oldest of of my siblings, uh, but you know, I I would see. Uh, I had a friend when I was in elementary school who had two older sisters, and they would make mixtapes for him, and we would listen to that. So that's where, you know, when I was like nine or so, that's when I would hear like Nirvana or uh, Alanis Morissette or Beck, and sort of that they were my window into certain things because I didn't have that in my house. You know what I mean? I didn't have an older brother or an older sister to sort of pass that along. My parents weren't engaging with new music. My dad had four tapes. They were the only ones he listened to. He had uh, Abbey Road. He had Beggar's Banquet. He had uh, Night Moves by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. (laughs) Um, And Eagles Hell Freezes Over, which, woof. Two out of four ain't bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember two for the longest time, I thought the Red Hot Chili Peppers were classic rock <laughs> because I remember I remember Under the Bridge being on the radio and I remember specifically hearing it in my dad's truck. But then it, that must have been uh, around the time he checked out of listening to BCN, which was the the uh, uh, alternative rock station in Boston and switched over to ZLX, which was the classic rock station. He just like, that. that was it. That was like the late... 80s, very early 90s is when he checked out of new music and just stuck with what he grew up with. Uh, so it was years before I was like, oh, no, they're, <laughs> they are a current and active young person band. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I just never had that sort of conditioning for keeping up with and following music. High school, I'd have friends who I would sort of leech off of their interests. I had a friend who was really into punk, so I would listen to some stuff from him. Um 
you know, that kind of thing. But I never, I never really sought it out myself. And I spent the last decade playing catch up on things I probably should have listened to 20 years ago. And that's rewarding though, no? Oh, it's super rewarding. I mean, there's no, there's no downside to it. On the one hand, I'm never going to be able to see REM live or, uh, you know, Black Sabbath or something like that. But I've seen Dinosaur Jr. and I've seen the Melvins sort of, you know, caught up on some things. Uh, but because I checked out or never checked in in the first place, you know, I missed a lot of stuff. You know, more so like the live experience kind of thing. Sure, yeah. sure. Do you find more value in the live experience than in uh, recorded stuff? Not necessarily. Yeah, um, different. But it's different. And it's always, uh, who knows, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll never know whether or not, you know, seeing certain bands live. Had changed that experience. Right, exactly. Yeah, we had talked about that on the show in the past where that's how I came to enjoy Nine Inch Nails. Right. Uh, by seeing them live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it can definitely change your perspective on things. I've also seen bands that I like that were terrible. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, oh, mm. Yeah. You know. And, and it's that's a thing that, you know, you run the risk to catching up on a certain band so many years after the fact. Sure. I saw Smashing Pumpkins live once and that was 2008 it was terrible the version of this band i would have wanted to see live happened a while ago and i missed it onward and upward i guess so i think i've always felt this weird compulsion to kind of stay as current as i possibly can to the point where maybe sometimes it becomes a detriment where it's just always forward momentum and then things get kind of lost in in uh on the way whether it be like you know my collection just of music just becomes so massive that you can't just keep up with things. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this in the past too, how now music is just so accessible that it's it's hard to keep track of everything that might interest you in addition to the things that you've loved from the past and keep those into a, a, a rotation with the new stuff that's coming out. And there's so much new stuff that's coming out that sometimes it's hard to, to really go through that and, and kind of you know, make your choices. Sure. You have to wonder if, you know, if people were ready to take to the streets riding because The Office was leaving Netflix, you know, what, you know, what about, how do those people listen to music on Spotify or something? You know, do they, are there, is there so much that instead of trying to make a, a, a new choice, you just settle with the old comfortable thing? Yeah. I think that happens a lot. I'm yeah. certainly guilty of it. Yeah. I think, you know, when I was younger and I was, because uh, I'm a musician, and so that that drives some of my desire for music oftentimes. And when I was younger and starting to play in bands, and I would notice that, you know, all of my uncles who were musicians and the music they were listening to um, was from a particular time period, from, you know, 60s, 70s, early 80s, and that they weren't really branching out beyond that not too much anyway and I was just like oh well we're skipping that we're all skipping that and now I see my peers now that we've all gotten older and we're not really playing music as much and I see a number of people and they're all listening to stuff from the late 90s early 2000s and they're like no this is it that's that's when the good music is made so I do think it happens to every generation I think you just have to make that personal choice to be like no new music is coming out all the time and there's a lot of good new stuff um and there's a lot of great old stuff. It's just, it's all interesting and you just have to look for it. Sure. Yeah. And I think too, you know, I'm not a musician. That certainly 
crossed my mind as to why you would be more sort of tuned in. And, you know, those really formative music years typically are, you know, high school. And um, we're a few years apart. So when I was in high school, it was really like, it was boy bands or it was new metal. Yeah, that was a bad period. It was, yeah, it was really not pleasant. Sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's more so the new metal stuff. And, you sure. know, uh, boy bands I was not connecting with for different reasons, but new metal was just so like- Toxic. It was, yeah, it was gross. Um, I mean, it sounded gross. It was gross when you listened to it. Um, yeah, it just, it was, um, but it was all there seemed to be. Sure. And if it wasn't new metal, it was like this sort of, you know, watered down Nirvana fallout, like Nickelback, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of, uh, you know, the, the more contemplative flip side of new metal, I guess, you know, it's very, uh, you know, hard on your sleeves, just like growly dudes. Uh, yeah, you know, a, yeah, lot like of, a, lot of, a lot of the wrong lessons learned, sure. I guess. For me at that time, because like, as you said, I'm, I'm a little older, um, that was one of my more exploratory phases of my life as far as music goes. And I was discovering, because all that stuff was just felt like utter garbage. So I was discovering a lot of older stuff, whether it was stuff like the Pixies or the Clash or a lot of old David Bowie and Brian Eno stuff. And at the time, that's also like when Radiohead was putting out some of their best stuff. Uh, And then through that, I kind of learned about things like a lot of jazz music and Charles Mingus and Nina Simone and and Aphex Twin. A lot of electronic stuff was starting to rise up around then too. So that was a big transition phase uh, for me. And I discovered a lot of stuff and and discovered what interests me then. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's always about, in a weird way, when I discover something and it feels new to me, I kind of obsess over it. But then once I sort of figure it out, and, and I'm not trying to say that uh, in a way where I feel like I'm above it, it's just an understanding to me. Right, you, you, you absorb as much as you can about it, feel like you've gotten what you need, and then you Sometimes look I move for on. something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, this has happened a number of times. Uh, sometimes to you know the discernment of, of friends being like, well, you don't have any fond memories of this? And she's like, yeah, I do. I have fond memories of it. I don't need to listen to it or experience it again. Yeah, we've talked about that. Your your aversion to nostalgia. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like I've always just sort of gravitated towards the next. And that's pushed me through, you know, my music listening. So I was like, well, I get this now. Let me move to, on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, and those things that I tend to revisit are things that still surprise me and it still excite me. Um, that's why I've always liked bands like Radiohead or Bowie or Bjork that are so weird and exploratory that I could still listen to their records now and probably discover new things. Yeah, you know, another thing too is that I, I also, when I was younger, I don't know that I had the patience or the sort of openness to, to, I I don't know. It was really hard for me to connect with a lot of stuff. And this is going to probably be particularly infuriating, but I remember a friend lending me OK Computer and I'm being, and thinking, I hate this. This is awful. <laughs> and then years later, going back to it because, you know, things will stick with you, if not the product itself, but the way people respond to it. So they must have had some album coming out. And I was like, you know, a friend of mine whose taste I tend to trust 
said that this was really great. I'm going to go back and listen to it because there, there has to have been something that I missed. And it was like I had never heard it before. But uh, yeah, a lot of the times, unlike you, I never pushed forward. I would just find like a, a comfort zone and mm-hmm. I would settle. And that was it. You know, I had a phase of where I had a Metallica t-shirt for every day of the week. Nice. And A uh, different one? Different one. But my interest in that band never, at the time, prompted me to say, if I like this, what else that they like might I like? Yeah. You know? That's always been big for me. Like, really big. Yeah. Just discovering an album and falling in love with it and then reading about the genesis of the album and its inspiration and then using that as like a as a rabbit hole to discover new music. Sure. Uh and cuz that's sometimes it's hard to like you know it's easy to look back and say like oh the 70s were represented by Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles and and I don't know Pink Floyd. Yeah. Right. But it goes way deeper than that. So it's hard to start some sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think that's always the biggest barrier for anyone. It's like, well, where do I start? Whether it's music, movies, or TV shows. And today we're actually talking about the best music of the last decade. Uh, And again, like, where do you start with that? So what we decided to do is um, we looked at a bunch of reputable um, music publications, uh, websites. We found their best of the decade from 2010 to to 2019. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we uh, took the top 10s for all of those and we uh, assigned them a numerical value. And then we kind of, I, I, I picked six websites. Yeah. So did you, yeah, you, you, you basically took a bunch of lists, tabulated them and figured out based on how often any given record got ranked. Yeah. And you came, you, you scored them that way. Yep. To arrive at the five quote unquote best albums of the decade. Yeah. And again, like, I'm not going to say like, oh yeah, definitively, these are the best albums of the, of the past 10 years. No, but these are five records that showed up on a number of lists. Correct. Very, very highly as well. Yep. And so for someone like you who hasn't really experienced a lot of the stuff, I thought that would be a good place to start. And we've also talked about this on the show before, but, you know, sometimes people see lists and they're just like, well, you didn't include blah, 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 or this is way too high or blah, blah. Who fucking cares? Yeah. Right. The lists are a good starting place, mm-hmm. and if you're if you're trying to discover something new, it's just a good good place to dip your you know dip your toes in. So, um, the six sites that we use were Slant Magazine, Rolling Stone, which I know probably sounds a little passe at this point, but I figured, why the hell not? Right, Pitchfork, uh, which is probably one of the most popular music sites right now, Esquire, AV Club, Stereo Gum, and Paste. There were a few sites that I looked at um, that I wanted to to use um, that didn't rank things numerically. Like NPR didn't have like a a, a list or anything. Mm-hmm. Like they were just they did stuff like they did episodes. Yeah, kind of like a roundtable. Yeah, like where they like one hey, reporter this is talking. Great. But yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, a few other sites did that too. I think Vulture did like super specific stuff, like the best vocal performances or and they weren't ranked or whatever yeah i mean a lot of the, a lot of the the lists that you mentioned cover a pretty wide spectrum of genres yeah for sure yeah none of it got so hyper focused that we were um really drilling into like like you said uh, such a specific niche aspect yeah exactly you know we wanted to cover as much ground as we possibly could at the same time like looking at all these lists like i would say the one of the big overarching 
uh, themes is that there's not a ton of rock music in here. At least rock as far as it was defined maybe from like, you know, 90s through the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. What had taken shape after Nirvana, I guess. Um, because a lot of this stuff feels more, I don't know, for lack of a better term, this sort of like this post-genre thing going on, maybe. Uh a lot of these artists kind of dabble in all different kind of mediums. And sure. I think that's maybe the defining characteristic of this past 10 years is that even like pop artists are experimenting uh, with different genres uh, and even with sonic uh, textures and recording. And, uh, you know, even like a lot of the rock artists are just kind of doing weirder things or mm-hmm. trying different things. I remember when I was younger, like genre was a very defined thing and not only was it defined but as a listener you were in this camp or you in that camp you're an alternative kid you're a hip-hop kid um and then eventually you were a new metal kid or you were into the boy bands you know Mm -hmm. it was never like this never the two shall meet sure and now it feels like everyone is just everyone likes everything maybe or at least younger kids are more apt to like a lot of different things yeah i think um it's funny because yeah, I was talking to a friend of ours, actually, um, uh, my friend Brian, who did our logo, um, about this episode and how, you know, that aversion to pop music is something most people should probably outgrow by the time they're out of high school. Yeah. You know, like, you know, that, that, that sort of, you're angling for that sort of street cred, like, oh, I don't listen to stuff that's so popular. Sure. Um, I think that kind of changed in the early 2000s when people started saying, like, you know, Missy Elliott. Uh, and Beyonce and um, Kanye, Justin Timberlake and Timbaland and all these artists, they were like, they were doing interesting things and people started taking pop music a lot more seriously. So now like, I remember when Pitchfork, you know, early 2000s, they were just so dismissive of all that stuff. And now like if Katy Perry has a new record out, they're going to review it, Mm -hmm. which is a weird thing. Almost, and sometimes I almost miss that kind of um, pushback, like a little bit of a pushback, because uh, it seems like almost everything is accepted. And sometimes it's nice to have that kind of like, well, hey, wait a minute, let's put the brakes on a second and really think about this. Um, but it is good in the sense that, you know, it doesn't seem to be this massive division anymore as sure. far as like um, what kids are listening to. And you look at someone like Billie Eilish, who's 18 years old, and you hear her record and how. Yeah, it's a pop record, but it's it's strange mm-hmm. and it's dark and moody yeah. and like has a lot of interesting sonic touches and textures. And she's an interesting singer and has this uh, an interesting perspective. And that seems to kind of be where music is sort of headed right now. Yeah, kind of related. I I rewatched Booksmart recently because okay. Sandra hadn't seen it, and and I was listening to all these albums we're going to talk about, but I was watching these like. You know these high school kids in a movie, and the I guess the naive optimist in me was like, "Oh, they look like they're having so much more fun than when I was a kid because they're all like the, that." Movie didn't really have uh, clicks. Yeah, there are personality clashes, but sure. there were no like, you know, the the jocks and the stoners and the skater kids were all hanging out and having a great time together. Sure. It's like, oh, I bet they, I bet they have, a, they all have great taste in music. <laughs> I mean, and, and we could say this uh, because we're like. 
we're looking at lists, mm-hmm. essentially, like we've created our own little algorithm, but we're not really in high school, so we don't know definitively. I'm sure like lots of kids are getting picked on because oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they listen to Barbara Streisand or whatnot. I don't know. And they're sure. just like, wait, this is 2019 and 2020 and you love Barbara Streisand? What the fuck? But Yeah, well, <laughs> with, with age comes that sort of ability to ha- take a, a step back and sure. see more big picture. And certainly, yes, when you're in it, you are hyper-focused on the thing you love. And if people say anything ill of it, you know, they're yeah. monsters who have terrible taste, even though that's probably not true. Maybe. Who knows? Anyway, so um, so what we're going to do is we're kind of, we'll talk briefly about our list. So, and then we're going to reveal our top five and we'll go one by one and we're going to talk about your reaction to listening to these things for the first time. And uh, we're going to talk about maybe how I experienced them because um, I actually own every record um, in our top five. Wow. Uh, five uh, whole records. Five whole records. <laughs> I actually probably own our top 15. That's another story. Actually, I don't. But um, so there were some ties by uh, the bottom half. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really only totaled things up that kind of reached a certain amount of points. There are some records that popped up on a few lists that didn't pop up on any other list. So for instance, you know, at number nine for Pitchfork, they had um, Black Messiah by D'Angelo, which is a great record, uh, but it didn't really pop up anywhere else. I think it's a kind of a strange record and he's... He's kind of elusive and he puts stuff out so infrequently that maybe that's part of why people didn't take to it as much. But it is pretty terrific. And like Rolling Stone had Drake and Lord and uh, Slant had Lana Del, Lana Del Rey's new record, Norman fucking, fucking Rockwell, which is pretty terrific, too. Um, but, you know, that's pretty new. So that could also account for why that didn't pop up on tons and tons of lists, uh, maybe down the line. Esquire had Arcade Fire and Margot Price and Rihanna AV Club had Angel Olsen and FKA Twigs. Um, Stereogum had Grimes and Sky uh, Ferrerier. I'm not sure. Sky Ferrerier? F-E-R-R-E-I-R-A? Ferreira? Like like your name? (laughs) Well, my name is spelled very differently. I know it's spelled differently. (laughs) Stereogum had Grimes and Carly Rae Jepsen. And Pace had Casey Musgraves and SZA. So, like, some of these things only popped up in a couple of these mm-hmm. lists. Um, but our number 15 is Fiona Apple uh, with, um, I don't know the full title for the record because it's really fucking long, but it's kind of abbreviated to Id- Idler Wheel. Um, are you, have you listened to this at all? Or? Nope. Pretty fucking great. Uh, I love Fiona Apple. This is a terrific record. She's possibly has a record coming out this year. I'm super excited about it. She's one of my favorites. Um, her second record, which also has a really long title, which is abbreviated to When the Pawn, is one of my favorite records. Mm-hmm. Um, number 14 is Courtney Barnett. Sometimes I sit and think, and sometimes I just sit. And she's this Australian uh, singer-songwriter. Uh, pretty minimal, kind of, not really punky, but does have a little grit to it. But it does feel kind of like an indie rock record, but mm-hmm. her lyrics are pretty terrific. And she has a nice kind of like, Delivery with the way she sings. And then at 13 and 12, we have Taylor Swift. Read at 13 in 1989 at 12. And I've never heard those two records in their entirety. Oh, I haven't either. Yeah. We'll be up front right now. Uh, not the biggest Taylor Swift fan. At least you have an opinion. A lot of this stuff we're going to be talking about are people who are so widely discussed in our culture. Sure. To the point where you know, uh, household name recognition. And I, I, 
am embarrassed by how little frame of reference I had for some of the performers we're going to talk about. Taylor Swift is somebody like that. I can. Ma- You've heard the singles, though, at least for these two records. Yeah, probably. They're uh, massive. They're everywhere. And being a wedding photographer, too, like right. I hear them at Where weddings. is everywhere? Um, tr- uh, in public spaces. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. If you go to the supermarket mm-hmm. or anything like that, you're going to hear some Taylor Swift songs. Sure. I think for me, like there's always some kind of element to some of her songs that I think works and other elements that I don't at least in the big songs actually I think I, I lied I think I have heard some of this in total I think Meg has listened to 1989 but it's uh, it's always a passive listen for me and never mm-hmm. like something that I'm engaging with I, I, I think there is things that are interesting and other things that I'm always like oh I wish that wasn't there sure and I always feel like she's never at the forefront of what she's doing she's always just kind of like not lagging behind but like she's current and there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't not necessarily... A, not a trailblazer. Exactly. But she has a new documentary that's popping up on Netflix soon, and I'm kind of curious to see uh, what that is and mm-hmm. if it's any good. Um, so at 11, we have LCD Sound System with This Is Happening, which is a record I really love. I think what happened with them is, you know, they put out these three monumental records in the mid-2000s to the end, uh, to 2010. Uh, and then they kind of... Like, that's it. We're done. We're not a band anymore. Uh, and then they came back and they put this record out that is okay. And it, but and I think in some ways it kind of tarnished their reputation just a bit. Uh, and so that's why I don't think this record popped up on more top 10 lists. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty terrific record. Uh, it has its kind of toe dipped in that whole kind of 90s post-punk um, with a lot of influence of Bowie and especially Brian Eno. You can hear a lot of that. I love this record when it came out. I haven't really listened to it in a while. Um, at number 10 is Vampire Weekend. Uh, and they're a pretty big band that popped up on a number of these lists. Mm-hmm. Have you heard them at all? Or uh, Yes, but I want to say it was from some stuff prior to 2010. Okay. Yeah, th- so the record that popped up on our list is Modern Vampires of the City, which I do think is their best record. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had two records prior to this. Okay. Um, which are both pretty good. Yeah, they're an interesting band. Um I think they can be pretty divisive because mostly, you know, it has that kind of like, I, you know, I think sometimes Vampire Weekend can kind of get some slack for maybe being a bit pretentious. Maybe, you know, they're this kind of collegiate rock that's like, likes to play around there. It almost has that kind of Paul Simon vibe to some of it. I think, I think that's maybe wrongly applied. It's almost like they're the Wes Anderson of music. <laughs> okay, fair does that, enough. Does that make sense? Uh, they're not as sure. twee or cutesy maybe, but... Sure, but, you know, um, yeah, there's a lot of... I, I can picture their album with Futura on the <laughs> the font choice. <laughs> I th- maybe they did. I, I, no, I, I think yeah. that, yeah. So at number nine is St. Vincent with her self-titled record, St. Vincent. She popped up on a number of different lists. Uh, with She had a bunch, like most of her records came out this past decade. Mm-hmm kind of art rock stuff i really like her a lot yeah so this is now now that now we finally mentioned a performer who i have a little bit of experience with sure. um before you had finished tabulating which albums we were going to be talking about um i did see that this album had popped up so i listened to it mm-hmm. the self-titled re- one yep okay. and really liked it but i had also spent some time with the album she did with david byrne oh yeah it's pretty cool yeah yeah and, and listening to this it's like oh yeah no that's it's a slam dunk there's no question mm-hmm. as to why those two got yeah. together to make music it's it, it they they have a very similar sensibility sure um and she also has that sort of she's taken on that kind of art rock stage presence as well where she's taken this element to like designing her 
her her performance. Mm-hmm. So it's whether or not everyone, the way everyone's dressed or the way she presents herself, whether it's in her music videos or even the album artwork and stuff, there's always like this theme and, and, and message that she's kind of, she's doing across the board. There's like a lot of thought put into everything. Sure. A lot like what Bowie used to do. And she's also kind of been reinventing herself through her last record is... Uh, a little more uh, uh, dancey, mm-hmm. uh, sort of in the line of not like um, young Americans, but like, you know, she's trying to, Bowie is pretty good uh, reference point for her. And she's a, an, a ridiculous guitarist. Oh, yeah. She can shred. It's yeah, great. It's ridiculous. But like a really cool approach to, to guitar, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine is Solange uh, at a seat at the table. Uh, and that's, you know, Beyonce's sister. Uh, and this is also a terrific record. Uh, that I would recommend you you listen to. Yep. Um, then we have. Uh, well, you didn't even ask. Ask me if I listened to it. Have Matt. you listened to it? No, of course not. But you assumed. You already told me you haven't <laughs> listened to these. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think you did listen to this. At number eight, we have David Bowie uh, in his his final album, which is Black Star. Yeah, I haven't spent a lot of time with it, but yeah, I did listen to it. It's a tricky record. It is. That first track is really. I mean, it's off-putting. You know, it's it's really it, it really doesn't let you in. You kind of have to want to be there. Yeah, um, it's very alienating. Yeah, so intentionally so. Yeah, totally. And and you know, I, I remember when this record came out, especially because it was what like a week before he died. Two if, days. Yeah. Um, so I listened to it then, and I was like, ah, you yeah. know, I'm not on this wavelength. And I didn't revisit it until we started talking about this. And mm-hmm. again, I was like, this first this first song's really keeping me at arm's length but I stuck with it the rest of it is is not so much the case yeah um, and then just listening to it later on and sort of in the mood for it knowing what I was in for I had a much better experience I heard it was going to be released um, and I had I loved his prior record um, and I was super excited for this I'm a massive Bowie fan and the record came out on a Friday and I, I instantly fell in love with it there is a music video for um, the lead single, and it's it's really it's a somber. It's hard to describe. But yeah, he 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 knew he, he knew he, what he was saying. He knew what he was he was going through. He knew yeah. he wasn't gonna he, he was gonna die, and the you feel that in the record. And then when he passed away, I remember I woke up on Monday and it was like the first thing I read, and I I was really upset. Um, which is weird. I, I didn't expect to feel that way about, uh, you know, this dude I don't know. But it's clearly been this positive force in my life. Sure. And so I, I put a record on and I walked around the city and uh, it was very cathartic. Uh, but I really fell in love with this record and it could possibly be one of my favorite Bowies at this point. Wow. Yeah, crazy for his final record, but it's up there. It's definitely up there. I mean, nothing's ever going to top like Hunky Dory or... Or a low for me, um, or even Ziggy. But you know, it rewards uh, repeat listening. But yeah, uh, at number seven is Beyonce with her self-titled record, mm-hmm. um, which is is pretty terrific. I, I got it when it came out, and it didn't necessarily click for me until I picked up Lemonade and went back to it, and then it started to make more sense for me. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to this one? I have not. So okay, so we're getting close to our five top. Number six is Frank Ocean, and it's Channel Orange, and this is his um, his first full length record. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to 
getting ready for this episode, I had not listened to this. Mm-hmm. Recognized his name, um, and I, I listened to this one a bit and really liked it. It was a lot uh, weirder than I was expecting. Sure, it's very, you know, you kind of spoke to this earlier in terms of um, a, a lot of the the stuff we're going to be talking about bleeds over from one genre to another. Uh, I mean, it's very much a, an R and B record, but it's very experimental in how it how it does R and B here. I kind of knew I was in for something I was going to be able to click with when the opening track has like the PlayStation boot up sounds <laughs> and then like the character select from Street Fighter. But uh, yeah, no, I really, I, re- I really like this. You took to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, oddly enough, you know, and only separated by one point at number five is Frank Ocean uh, and the record is Blonde. Going into this expecting that uh, Channel Orange would be in our top five, and then this one just slowly pushed it out, just by one point. And then you listen to this one. What was your What was your reaction? I didn't take to this one as quickly as I took to Channel Orange. Sure. Channel Orange, that first listen, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. It's much more accessible. I really like it. It wasn't even an accessibility thing. Mm -hmm. I think through repeated listens, what I sort of came to appreciate was that Blonde is also super experimental. Yeah, even more so. Yeah, but I think there is a more... uh, It's all under a more unified umbrella, I think. I think the, the sort of... I think the goal of that experimentation is all sort of feeding into one more cohesive type of sound, yeah. if that makes any sure. sense. Whereas, not to say that Channel Orange doesn't work as well as a whole, it seems like Blonde has more of like a uh, an overarching thesis, for lack of a better yeah, word. Yeah, sure, sure. I think maybe Channel Orange is him just kind of trying lots of things mm-hmm. and doing them all really well. Yeah. And this one feels... A little more exploratory, mm-hmm. um, a little less beholden to structure. It's just, it's kind of meandering, but intentionally so. Yeah. I know it could be really frustrating. I know a lot of people that listen to this and they either click with the vibe or they find the album um, intentionally alienating. I found it to be, you know, once I sort of stuck with it, uh, it struck me as very cinematic in a way I wasn't oh, really expecting. Sure. You know, I feel like he, I feel like each song feels like a scene from a movie in yeah. a way that, you know, it, it felt very it felt very evocative of 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 uh, you know, a film telling stories about lives of young people. 
if you know what I mean yeah. like each it's such a vivid picture not just through the the lyrics but the textures and soundscapes that they're all you know the, that are behind all of them and yeah when I had that realization I think that's when this album kind of opened up for me yeah it, it almost feels like sometimes when you're listening to it that like oh, I shouldn't be listening to this this is too personal super personal yeah, yeah. Um, it's all about heartbreak mm-hmm. um, but it's really I find a lot of it to be really beautiful and evocative and, and I love the texture to it there's not a lot of drums in the record when they do come in they're impactful and I think you could almost like take that approach I think is applied to the whole record I think they're he does things sparingly sometimes or even like little pieces in the margin but it always feels like like there's an intentionality there. Um, and that's what really, what makes me gravitate towards this record. Mm-hmm. I love this. Um, I, I was, I really liked Channel Orange when it came out and there's a lot of buildup and anticipation to the release of this record. And initially it was supposed to be called Boys Don't Cry. Uh, and he's teasing it for months. And then finally there was like, I think it was like a Friday and he released this teaser. It was like an hour long video of him in like a studio space doing kind of like art project kind of working in it um, with music behind songs uh, and then he put that out and it's called Endless and that came out right before this and that feels even more uh, experimental more collage um, like a sketchbook in a sense mm-hmm. uh, where it's just like here are my th- some thoughts I'm, I'm jotting down uh, and it doesn't always cohere it's not always cohesive but it's fascinating and then some people thought that was the record. And then like he did these like pop-up shops uh, in a few places through record stores throughout the country. Actually, there might've been some in, in, in England too. Uh, and then you could go and, and pick up these magazines that he put out. It had copies of Blonde. And mm-hmm. so Blonde was like the official release. And I guess Endless was like this accompaniment. People don't really talk about Endless the same way. Um, but yeah, so that came out that weekend. And I remember listening being like, I don't, I don't understand this, but I want to. I really want to. And I just, I listen to this pretty obsessively. Yeah. Uh, and it's still on, uh, in constant rotation at home. This came out, uh, in 2016. Yeah. And we still listen to it pretty regularly. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, been teasing a new record, but you know, with him, you never know. He's pretty elusive and, mm-hmm. and he'll talk about a big game about like, yeah, I've got all this, I've got all this. And then like things don't happen. And then he puts it off and then he comes back and then like, surprise, here's a record. So like, you never know. Him saying there could be a new record on the horizon could mean a new record in two years. Or it could be two weeks from now. Right. Which is exciting. Um, I think that's uh, one thing with a lot of these records we're going to talk about too is that part of what made the record stand out was also how it was released and the conversation around that release. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times now stuff comes out on a Friday, you pick up your phone, you download it, bam, and that's the end of it. And there's like... Sometimes there's a buildup to it, uh, and it's a lot like movies where there's so much buildup, and then it comes out, and then it's out. It's not like the way it used to be where there's like constant singles and rotation, and there's still singles. Every, all these albums have lots of singles. It doesn't feel the same way as it used to. So a lot of these records kind of like surprise releases or big releases or accompanying things with videos and stuff like that made it like an event. Cross media. Yeah, exactly. Made it this big event for, for the release of the record. Are there any particular songs on here that you really like? Yeah, I had uh, I had flagged Solo and Ivy. 
Yeah, Ivy's Ivy's my favorite. I thought that I was dreaming when you said you loved me. The start of nothing. I had no chance to prepare. I couldn't see you coming. The start of nothing. Ooh, I could hit you now. It's quite all right to hit me now. When we both know that deep down the feeling still deep down is good. Yeah, that that dreamy guitar sound. Yeah. I mean, that feels sort of like, you know, what about the whole album that really clicked for me is that that hazy atmospheric yeah. quality to it. It's like soul music, but really filtered through a lot of what you'd expect from a lot of indie bands mm-hmm. um, or even like dreamier 60s, 70s psychedelic stuff. Sure. And even in his liner notes, like he had like a whole massive list of thank yous and it was all stuff that influenced him mm-hmm. from the Beatles and David Bowie to Stevie Wonder. You can hear a lot of Stevie Wonder in this oh, too. Sure. And, um, and that's what we were talking about before is this sort of like cross genre thing where this isn't just one thing. You couldn't say this is just a soul record mm-hmm. in the slightest. You couldn't say it was a rock record or even like indie rock or alternative. It's just this weird cross section of things. Um, but it's fun it, to listen to on repeat because it again... It, it's sort of, it's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, it's definitely something that has been very rewarding upon repeated listen. There's a lot of stuff to dig into and discover uh, or even, you know, recontextualize from one listen to the next. Yeah. You're knowing what knowing what's coming a couple of songs later and sort of seeing how it all connects. And yeah, it's it's been, it, it's, it's been, I think of the, the five we're going to discuss at length, it's probably the one I've, come back to the most I think it only plays at number five because a lot of these um, websites put it up against Channel Orange that's why Channel Orange is number six mm-hmm. so like uh, some some sites preferred Channel Orange and some sites preferred this so they're almost competing against each other uh, and so unfortunately that's what maybe put it at number five yeah. uh, it was number one for Pitchfork I know they're pretty pretty big on, on that record mm-hmm. uh, proselytizing about it for the longest time do you have a preference now that you've listened to both this and Channel Orange quite a bit? Yeah, I, you know, I think it'd be a coin toss, yeah. you know, depending on sure. what mood I'm in when you ask. Sure. So. Do you, will this, like, enter into, like, a rotation for you? I think so. Yeah, and yeah. is he someone that you, now that you're aware of him, are you like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely listen to the, his yeah. new record when for it comes sure. out? Mm-hmm. That's terrific. Yeah. Um, yeah, discover a new music, baby. We did it. Woo! We cracked this one wide open. Ready for number four? Yeah. All right, number four, we have Body Talk by Robin.
So did you know anything about Robin going into this? I did not. Okay. Had no idea. But you've heard that song. Nope. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's popped up in so many different TV shows and movies and stuff like that. I, the, maybe I have. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed this. I was surprised that it was so widely regarded. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. You know, so this came out in 2010. And she initially, it was initially going to be three EPs, Body Talk 1, 2, and 3. And then eventually at the end, she's just like, fuck it. I'm just putting them all out together in one thing, Body Talk. Uh, so this is a pretty sprawling record. It's 15 tracks. Yeah, I, I guess that's safe to say. I do think, you know, 2010, and this is sort of like pointing the direction to where pop music was kind of headed in the next, in, in from 2010 to 2019. Primarily that it's looking back, you know? And, and you see that in a lot, especially with things like Stranger Things, where it's using a lot of these kind of 70s, 80s synth sounds. Uh, and I think what makes this record work so well is that production is there's such an attention to detail. And it's not only influenced by like Madonna, but it's, you know, heavily influenced by Kraftwerk and a lot of kind of 70s kind of Krautrock and uh, early electronic music. And I think that's why it works. And it's crazy when you're going through, you can be like, oh, this could be a single. This could be a single. This could be a single, and each song feels like it could be like a massive hit. Yeah, um, you know, we've we've talked a bit about you know a certain synth sound that maybe musicians and um, film and TV were in a in a bit of a rush to overuse. Maybe before the uh, before it really had gotten to a point where it aged better than people would hope. Um, this feels very evocative of, like you said, all that seventies and eighties stuff. Um, but without that, that dated cheese factor that kind of yeah. makes some of that stuff hard to listen to. I think the difference is maybe just, you know, because they're using a lot of the same synthesizers. It's just that sheen of production. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of early 80s stuff in particular to me feels a little too cold. And I think yes. there's a warmth to this. And I think it's a combination of modern recording technology. So I think maybe... Un- Unfortunately, what was happening is happening, and I think at that time frame is that, you know, there was new technology that they hadn't really wrapped their heads around. Yeah, quite yet. exactly. So, you know, um, going back to Metallica, for instance, like I think most of their records from the '80s sound awful. Uh, they're thin. The drums, they 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 just sound so wimpy. Mm-hmm. There's no mm, for a band that should have a lot of, you know, gusto and bravado, but it's just not there. Um, and Injustice for All just feels, I don't know, it's one of the worst sounding records, which is a bummer because, you know, you like those the music, you mm-hmm. know. And I think like now we're at this point, too, where there's just such a a nuance to the recording and accessibility and to make it easier, but also an understanding of, you know, that warmth that was maybe lacking then. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes this this record feel sort of timeless in some ways, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's very... Um, it feels very retro while also feeling very futuristic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and maybe this is the atten- intention of a lot of music. You know, this also has sort of like a disco kind of vibe in some ways. Like mm-hmm. she's influenced by all that. But there's also like in the margins, there's a lot of like experimentation, a lot of interesting touches. And I think that's what makes it, you know, better than maybe what this type you'd expect from a pop record like this. Sure. But I do think something like this is is significantly better than, you know, a number of the big 
pop icons of the last decade. I'd prefer this to Lady Gaga or or Kesha or Katy Perry or even Taylor Swift. I think this is a lot more adventurous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also sort of effervescent and light. It's like, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that we'll discuss more with particular albums here. But uh, listening to these five fairly constantly for this recording, um, this one always felt like a break. Sure. Because some of them are heavy. Oh, they're yeah, they're um, mostly heavy. Yeah, um, which is not a demerit by any stretch. But you know, listening to certain records like on repeat, like three or four times in a row, it was just like I, yeah, I got to put Robin back on, take a breather. <laughs> um, yeah, last night I was kind of I had to photo shoot to go to, and and I hadn't listened to this one in a while, so I was like, oh, I need to listen to this before we record, and it was just like you know driving to work oh yeah bopping my head and like oh yeah this is great right now like i love this i think maybe one drawback is that there's maybe too much of it yeah the back half is just all a blur yeah i do think if you were to start with the back half that it wouldn't feel like a blur i think the problem is when you start from track one and go all the way through Mm -hmm. um i'll I'll play one from the back half just to kind of demonstrate that i think this is probably a great pop song Yeah, just, you know, infectious pop. Yeah. Great hook, great mm-hmm. chorus, especially when she kind of does that harmony in, in the last section of the chorus. Um, just such a, a attention to detail. Going back to top fives in general, I don't think this would be in my personal top five. Yep. I think this is the type of record for me where, like, if I, you know, had music on shuffle and, and one of these songs pop popped up i'd probably be pretty pumped and pretty excited mm-hmm. um but i don't know if it's a record i'm constantly like i gotta put that on like the, yeah. the full thing but it's great she did another kind of ep with uh reichskop which you know they're on one of one of these songs and it's a little more um you know it's still dancey but they're like you know 10 minute songs this three song ep uh and it's cool it's really weird and and um I, I really I think I prefer that because mm-hmm. again I'm always gravitating towards the weirder stuff, um, but I do I think this is pretty pretty cool record. Yeah, I uh, and I, I think I was most surprised to learn that when I was talking to Sandra and telling her telling her what we were listening to for this, and I mentioned this record, and she's like Robin like from 15 years ago, and I was like, oh, you know this person, and I did not know she was a 40 something year old Swedish woman. Yeah, so mm-hmm. she had uh, like some success success when she was younger. Yeah. Uh, and then came back and, you know, 
I think it's just about, you know, she took the craft of of writing a perfect pop song seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what makes this record pretty pretty cool. So at number three, we have Lemonade by Beyonce. Prior to this, have you ever heard of Beyonce? I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> if I was half as clever as I'd like to think, I would have, with a straight face, been like, no, I haven't. <laughs> I No. Where'd she come from? This is remarkable. Uh, no, and th- obviously I have. And this is uh, one of the performers who, as I mentioned, I'm most embarrassed to have had such a small frame of reference for. Sure. Just because of how largely she looms in the cultural conversation around music. Massive. Yeah. Huge. You know, so before this, you know, I don't remember, it might be her first solo record with Crazy in Love, and that song was just massive. It was everywhere. Yeah. And I remember being like, this is really cool. Um, I never really clicked with the Destiny's Child stuff, but I thought that song was really cool. And then, you know, the singles, uh, Single Ladies, which I think is, is pretty terrific too. Um, it's a strange song, and I hear it like every weekend shooting weddings. Sure, and it always I'm always taken aback by how weird it is and how like dark. Like there's a synth line that comes in partway through that's just so dark. This underbelly of the song, mm-hmm. and it's easy to take for granted because it's like this shimmery pop song. But again, like there's this weird experimentation with the the production that I, I always thought was fascinating. Like I said, I got her self-titled record, and I was like, yeah, this is, this is interesting. This is pretty cool. When this record came out, it was a big surprise, and she released it concurrently with like uh, a video for the whole record, uh, sort of like this, almost like a long-form kind of music video. It's mm-hmm. like over an hour with like spoken word stuff in between, and she kind of connected everything visually. Almost feels like a Terrence Malick movie. When it came out, I was just like, oh, like the way people were talking about it was just... I was like, there's no way that this can be as good as people are talking about it. You know, I went and bought it, downloaded the video, and the first time I listened to the record was watching through the video. And when it starts off with that strange sort of like, you know, bass synth with her singing these kind of... It's like a layered, like, yeah, breathing it's, chorus thing. And yeah. I was like, what is this? This is This would be in a Radiohead record. This is weird. Uh, and then as the record progresses, you know, she does everything. Yeah, there's a country song on country, here. Country, dance hall, psychedelic rock, everything. Yeah. Uh, modern hip hop, R&B, uh, just like, it seemed to me like at a point she was like, it. you know, there's that record in kind of like the storied 
arc of of a musician's career. There's always that record where they're out to prove something. And this record doesn't feel like this. This record feels like, I don't need to prove myself. Fuck you. I can do everything and I can do it all better than everybody. Well, that's sort of the whole point, right? A lot of this is dealing with, you know, uh, uh, with her, you know, the the whole thing with with Jay-Z and infidelity and sort of like, it really comes out swinging and it's yeah deeply personal I, I what i think is fascinating about uh the album lyrically is that a lot of her message is like i can't believe you did this to me fuck you i can be i could do whatever i want without you i don't need you but i i still want you mm-hmm. and i want you to do better i want you to be better uh and 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 almost kind of like She's almost mad at herself for that reliance. Oh, yeah. It very much feels like a conversation someone is having with themselves about something. Like sure. Because I think when you think of, you know, all the, the great songs or albums about heartache, uh, I think the, um, you know, I want you back and the revenge part don't often coexist like this. Sure. And to have And to have them both in the same piece of work it was fascinating it's just such, such a bold record mm-hmm. and I was just completely taken aback because I didn't expect this from her mm-hmm. um, and this is another one we've talked about this a number of times on the show anytime we do a music episode of how difficult it is to kind of like discover new things and keep that in rotation and then what's interesting about these records these five are ones that have been in my permanent rotation mm-hmm. which was sort of surprising sort of not um but yeah, I, I didn't expect this record when it came out and I didn't expect to love it as the way I do love it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I will admit to being sort of dismissive of her music, not to say that I was dismissive of um you know the 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 esteem that she was held in or her influence, but it was just always something that I assumed I'm like that's, you know, that's not for me. Um you know, I'm. Sh- yes, she's great at what she does, but like, I don't know that I'm gonna connect with it. You know, thinking of things like sure. Crazy in Love or All the Single Ladies, the stuff that I was familiar with, without exploring the the spaces between those songs, um, I was proven wrong here, um, and not surprised to be proven wrong. I'm uh, especially with music, and I think it's factors into why I don't engage with it as much as I do with television or film is like I kind of make these uninformed decisions and don't try. Yeah. I mean, at, at worst, you lose like 50 minutes <laughs> of your time. <laughs> I think we all do. I think everybody yeah. does that. We have our blind spots and our, our comfort zones. Uh, sometimes it's hard to push out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, like, what? yeah, 50 minutes, you know, it's not going to kill you. I think sometimes, it, you know, it's an issue when you give it that time, but you still have your guard up maybe. And that happens often. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, sometimes you need that proper context for things in order to, to, to for it to be accessible. Like you said, first time you listen to OK Computer, you're just like, no. But then eventually you came to it and you had probably a better understanding of maybe music in general. I don't know. Um, or someone was recommending it to you. So that gave you your way in a little better. Yeah, it's hard whenever someone hands you a thing and says, here. This is my favorite blank. It oh, is yeah. the greatest blank that's ever been blanked in the universe. Sure. And you know, how do you realistically engage with that? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was tricky, too, with this because, like, once we came up with our top five, I was just like, how much do I want to talk about these things ahead of time? Because I didn't want to color your perception of them. Because if you came in here and you're just like, I don't like any of these, then I'd be like, okay, we're, we're that's fine. Let's have a conversation about mm-hmm. that. Because I do like all of these records. Um, so, uh, but it's interesting that, you know, you came about you know, the, appreciating this on your own. Mm-hmm. Any particular tracks that stand out to you on this? Uh, I think the two that were most surprising just because of, you know, the, you know, how all over the place in terms of borrowing from different genres, um, don't hurt yourself. And daddy lessons were the, like the, the rock and country song sure. respectively that I certainly was not expecting to hear. Sure. And I, I, I don't think that those are necessarily, uh, my favorites yeah. off the album by any stretch, but I think those two stand out as being, um, as far away from what my expectations from a Beyonce song yeah. were. So let's play a, a bit of Don't Hurt Yourself. The way that starts off, and you can hear the squeaking of the bass drum pedal. It feels like a lot of like those Led Zeppelin recordings. And then Jack White comes in and he's got his caterwaul kind of that the his usual kind of approach to 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 singing. Mm-hmm. But she matches him. And I think that's the other thing that's impressive with this record is usually when you hear these kind of um you know like the diva style singer she kind of underplays a lot of stuff here she's not doing like those really elaborate expressive things that like Christina Aguilera does uh, that she's capable of but she shows restraint and oftentimes and she's also she's more apt to kind of like have something a little more guttural yeah yeah it gets uh gritty yeah and really strips a lot of polish off yeah as opposed to something like Single Ladies, sure, which is super polished. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't expect that, mm-hmm. but it's crazy because, like you're saying, like you know, with this and like Daddy Lessons, which is a full country song. Like, there's something about the record, even though she's bouncing back and forth between genres, um, but there's something about her approach that unifies everything. Mm-hmm. I do. For me, I do think Daddy Lessons is probably my least favorite song, mostly because I feel like it's just her saying, like, "Here's a country song," sure, without really elaborating on that or playing within that it's just kind of like that standard country thing with her singing not a bad song um but within the context of the record i'm always like oh okay sure but i think throughout you know in terms of 
the you know it's it's not just this story about her her marriage but a lot you know a lot of her her history comes yeah up in lyrics and i think we've talked before about how sometimes bands do these genre exercises just because they can i think she makes it clear like i'm not doing i'm not you know i'm not playing with these styles because i'm you know i'm good and i can like this is all part of yeah what makes me me i think that's the message of daddy yeah. lessons too like she's like oh this is how i identify with um this musical treatment mm-hmm. by telling the story about my upbringing and and you know connecting all these pieces mm-hmm. i think freedom is terrific too that's another kind of rock song with mm-hmm. kendrick lamar yep um she did a live performance i forgot might have been mtv music awards i don't know could have been the grammys might have been the grammys and they performed it together in like a foot of water and they're just like kicking the whole time and it's really cool uh, that's a performance worth seeking out. Cool. My favorite might be All Night, actually. I just think it's just an encapsulation of the record mm-hmm. and so cathartic and really pretty. Um, and I didn't expect that, especially like at the end of it, like even though the album uh, closes with uh, Formation, uh, this feels almost like the ending. Like Formation almost feels like an epilogue. Mm-hmm. I- I'm going to play a little bit of All Night. Love that. Love that chorus, the way her voice breaks into falsetto and the horns. It's just a beautiful song. Um, And I kind of wish it ended on that, but I do love Formation, Mm -hmm. um, which the music video for is also interesting. And she got a lot of heat for that, Um, you know, because she's like on top of a cop car that was underwater. and, And obviously there was that pushback of like, how dare you? And you know, she's just trying to say like, hey, there needs to be some accountability here. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing that about the record we haven't really talked about. You know, it's about her, not only her relationships, but also her place in history and her look at her own culture and her acceptance of her own culture and, and trying to find a place within that. Um, yeah, this is probably an all-timer, I would say, this record. Are you glad that you caught up with this or discovered that this is actually what she's doing or... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think anytime you you know, you have a person like her who is such an important part of pop culture, I think you 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 need to know 
a little more than just the superficial stuff. Sure. Yeah, I'm 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 thrilled that I actually spent some time with this one uh, because because anytime you have a person like her who is so uh, looms so large in pop culture, um, I think you need to know more than just like the you know the stuff the here on the radio stuff. Yeah, the surfacey yeah. stuff. And you know, I remember the the I don't know if controversy is the right word, but like the the conversation around this when this album sort of materialized unexpectedly. Um, and, and I don't know. I mean, that was fascinating then, and I don't know why I didn't say, "Oh, I should, I should see what this is about." Sure, but I did now. So terrific! All right, at number two, we've got Kanye West and my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. It's unfortunately a little tricky talking about Kanye now, I guess. I don't know. What? Yeah. Um, he's become, I mean, he's always sort of a polarizing figure. Mm-hmm. I think in the past, at least for me, I thought the work spoke for itself. And it was easy to look past someone being a pompous ass. Now he's kind of in support of some pretty awful things. And it's pretty, it's it's difficult to look past. Um, he's put out a few records in the past few years. Uh, and, 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 you know, they're disappointing and it's, I don't know if it's easy to be like, oh, that's fine. Uh, because at one point in time, like he, I was like new Kanye records, like, fuck yeah. Like so excited when this record came out, it it was a big deal. Why? So I like Beyonce, I obviously know who Kanye West is, but had not engaged with the music prior to, Mm -hmm. to this. What was it about him? and especially this record that was such a big deal. If you listen to, you know, the lead up to this and listen to his music and the stuff he was producing, I mean, that's all of pop music. The blueprint of that 60s sort of soul music that he took and sampled and cut up for Jay-Z and for a lot of his solo stuff became the template. (laughs) He was at the forefront of a lot of that. And I think, you know, he, 
he was always a fascinating figure. Here was this guy that came out and he was just like, yeah, I'm fucking great. And you listen to the records and he's just like, I may be fucking great, but I kind of suck. And that was always what was interesting. And you never really got that um, when you see him in public appearances, you know, and that was always disappointing. But his his fingerprints are are all over everything we've talked about so far today from the Frank Ocean record, which he he. He worked on a little. He produced one of the tracks. Beyonce produced a bunch of her tracks in the past mm-hmm. um, to to her husband, Mr. Z, um, <laughs> uh, and to uh, our number one artist as well. Uh, it's all over that. Um, even in Robin, like a lot of the synth stuff that she used, like he was using a lot of that stuff too within different contexts. And with each one of his records, he kept exploring different things. So on his third record, there was a, you know, sampling Daft Punk and Can. No hip hop artist was, was sampling Can. Who's Can? A 70s crut rock German band, experimental, really out there. Um, and he was kind of taking these little bits and pieces. He just always had this curious mind and you could hear that in the music. And even though he came off like this idiot in public, Anytime you talk to anyone that collaborated with him, it was always just like, in the studio, it's just about the song. There's no ego. It's just about the song. And you could hear that on this record because there are definitely clear moments in all of this, all of these songs where someone else, where he takes a backseat to someone else. Doesn't fucking matter as long as the song is good. The album prior to this is um, 808 and and Heartbreak. Uh, and, And it was kind of minimal. And, you know kind of a electric pop. Um, but it's sad. It was about his mother dying. Um, and it was interesting. It was almost like a, a, a weird sidestep. And a lot of people like, I think it's like uh, grown in estimation over time, especially because it's, it's been pretty influential and you can hear a lot of the DNA in Drake and in uh, uh, Frank Ocean from 808 and Heartbreak. And then this came out and it's just like... Big. Maximalism. It's yep. just everything four quadrant and this is almost like a prog hip-hop record like the songs are sprawling over six minutes nine minutes for a runaway there's like little digressions for sound experiments and collages he's sampling black sabbath he's sampling king crimson aphex twin like really disparate kind of elements that he's bringing together to make this hodgepodge thing and it's all in service of this person who's trying to get at the root to why he's so awful. And so in the past, it was easy to just kind of not look past the things that were discouraging about his public persona, but you could almost sort of reconcile it and be like, the, it's about the work, man. Like this. And so when this came out, this was like, you know, this is album of the year, uh, 2010. And I think this sort of defined the decade in some ways. Mm-hmm. And you could, again, hear a lot of, the DNA from this and everything else we've already talked about. Yeah. On paper, this is a record that should be too overstuffed, too bloated, too long, but none of it slows down. No. None of it feels like a chore to listen to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, kind of taking a step back and looking, like, oh my God, there's a nine minute song. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And the back half is just all like sonic experimentation. And it's great. It's so cool. Yeah. So cool. Mm-hmm. Monster's a ton of fun. Yeah. And 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 Nicki Minaj obviously steals that track. Oh, absolutely. 
Bonnie Vare is all over this record. Mm-hmm. You know, a big influence on 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 Kanye. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like you hear all these disparate elements. It's just kind of like th- this is what I want from music. I mm-hmm. want that kind of like open mindedness to other things. And that experimentation. Yeah, there's nothing stale here. Nothing. It's all, it, even like, you know, it, with stuff you've heard in terms of like yeah. samples that you'll recognize, like it all just feels super fresh. Where was Nicki Minaj at in terms of her career when this came out? Right at the beginning. Okay. I think Monster is really kind of what, you know, gave her that extra push. Mm-hmm. Like she came in here and she stole the show from both Kanye and Jay-Z. And isn't- and uh, Rick Ross. Rick Ross. Yeah, Rick Ross yeah. is on that. So it's just kind of like- Fuck, you know, uh, and and it, and for an album that's so big, it's also super intimate and confessional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he talks about, you know, hey, like if my life is just gonna be about having sex with attractive models and porn stars, and you know, wh- what kind of life, what kind of meaning am I gonna have? It's him really reconciling with this monster ego that he created. Mm-hmm. That's what monster is. Yep, and it's all over it. Yeah, I mean, that's a. I think all of these five records have a lot of exposed raw nerves. Yeah. Um, I think that was maybe the most surprising through line for all of it. Sure. Is how confessional it was. And knowing Kanye almost exclusively as egomaniac Kanye West, <laughs> yeah. um, that self awareness and willingness to reflect and, and really just put all your dirty laundry out there like that was um surprising i I think that's the difficult part is when you listen to the records you really hear someone kind of grappling with who they are and in public it feels like and uh i you know i hate to bring up the t-word but i do think that what he sees in trump is trump's ability to say whatever he wants and get away with it and i think kanye kind of envies that that ability to just be like it's not just about being an iconoclast. It's about having some sort of something to say. And I think sometimes Kanye confuses those two. Mm-hmm. He thinks just because of his stature that he could say whatever. And he doesn't always have, you know, anything to back up what he's saying. And that's such a bummer, especially with his comments recently about slavery. Um, you know, it's just, and like a lot of the people he's worked with were are, were massively disappointed. And granted... You know, he said he's bipolar and he's on medication and, you know, so he has some some mental health issues as well. It's still really difficult to see him walking around with a MAGA hat. Sure. You know, uh, he put out a record with Kid Cudi last uh, in 2018 uh, under the name Kid See Ghosts, which I really like. And he produced Pusha T's last record, which is also terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, he put out his solo record Yee uh, which is my f- the first of his records where I was really disappointed in it just felt kind of half-assed mm-hmm. uh, and even like the lead up to it he's like it's coming it's coming and it, you could tell like he was working on it to the last minute because he put it off mm-hmm. like he had the date and he's just like okay I have to meet this date and then the date came and a few weeks later it finally came out because he was just scrambling he did put out two kind of like gospel themed records I haven't listened to the newest one which is you know for me is a bummer because like this was a, a favorite artist for a long time the one before it I thought was interesting much better than Yee um, but you're kind of at the point where with him where you see yourself not 
you know, necessarily jumping to listen to the new thing. Yeah, I'm not as excited. I mean, but, you know, in preparation for this, I put this on again and I'm just like, fuck, yeah. I, I love this. Like, yeah. You know, like this is like an important record mm-hmm. for me. Um, and like all those things came rushing back and I heard, you know, Runaway and, and you know, Blame Game, which has got that great sample from Black Sabbath uh, and Lost in the World, which is just beautiful and just a, a, a perfect ending for a record. And I'm just like, fuck, like, w- w- you know, what happened, you know? And, you know, maybe at some point he'll kind of come up, come back around and be like, yeah, you know, I made some mistakes. He's done that in the past, but, you know, it doesn't really work. You know, he apologized to Taylor Swift and then there was another big kerfuffle and all that stuff. But sure. The follow-up to this is also terrific. And I think that's why this isn't number one because people were a little split between split, this and yeah, Yeezus. Yeah. And Yeezus is just full on abrasion and experimentation and it's it's otherworldly and there's nothing quite like it it's pretty it can be very off-putting it's almost just like a you know a noise band in some ways and like lyrically it's probably you know it's pretty gross it's vile and he he kind of revels in this debauchery in Mm -hmm. that record um but it's just it's a great record and then the follow-up life is to Yeezus is Life is Pablo and that's also a bit of a mess and maybe a precursor of where things have gone but there's still some you know highlights of his career on that record uh, and a willingness to let other people take the spotlight Chance the Rapper is amazing on the opening track Ultra Light Beam uh, so like again like you know hopefully maybe he'll, he'll come back around but who knows uh, but if not we still have the, this section of his his career his career that you know where he was knocking it out of the park left and right awesome all right recap frank ocean with blonde at number five mm-hmm. number four is robin with body talk number three is lemonade by beyonce number two is my beautiful dark twisted fantasy by kanye west and number one is to pimp a butterfly by kendrick lamar i got a bone to pick i don't want you monkey mouth motherfucker sitting in my throne again think Kendrick kind of popped up at number one because he's consistently either within these six lists top ten lists he was either at number one two or three Mm -hmm. Uh, and then again like sometimes Kanye and Beyonce and Frank had other records in the top ten and kind of maybe caused them to go a little bit down not to say that this isn't you know it made number one on a number of different lists and this is an album that's talked about for for um, you know it it was number one of it's considered number the best record of 2015 and a lot of spent a lot of press about this record and obviously his follow-up and, and, and just his career in general. So how familiar are you with Kendrick Lamar? 
Zero. Again, knew the name. I really had no, you know, with Lemonade and with um, my dark... My beautiful dark twisted. My beautiful fantasy. dark twisted fantasy. I had, you know, I had I had some expectations sure. going into it, but knowing that this was number one on the list, yeah, um, I, I yeah really like had zero frame of reference for what I was going to hear. Sure, and I, I I think this is of the five, uh, probably my favorite. I think really yeah I cool. think it's certainly. Sonically, one of the weirdest. Yeah, um, this is borrowing from like funkadelic mm-hmm. and like jazz from Charles Mingus and uh, Miles Davis, but like Davis's weirder stuff, like Bitches Brew and Live Evil. And I mean, one song is is th- the lyrics are given as a, a a crying drunken confessional, complete with. You know, in the middle of a sentence, gulping out of a glass and ice clinking, and like, it's like everything is so, you know, sort of deliberate. In it's not a, it's none of it's weird for the sake of. Oh no, being not weird. at all. It, yeah, it's exploratory. Mm-hmm. I, that's a common theme with all of these records. Is someone at a point in the career where they don't feel like they have to prove anything, but they have that confidence. Mm-hmm to do the next step, to take that next step. These are all kind of albums at a certain point in in someone's career. I don't know if we'll get another My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy or Lemonade. Maybe we could get something that surpasses Blonde because that's only his, like, I guess technically his third record. Um, but uh, you, you never know. Um, so it, this is his second record. Well, actually, I, I think it's his third prior record is the one that kind of received a lot of press and kind mm-hmm. of catapulted him into the spotlight and that's um, Good Kid Mad City mm-hmm. uh, and I was made aware of that when that came out I had never listened to the record prior to that but uh, I liked it I thought it was pretty good but it never I never kind of latched onto it it was just like one of those oh yeah this is good I, mm-hmm. I'm enjoying this this is something else sure yeah yeah I mean this is as much drawing from you know, one person's singular experience and speaking to the larger conversations that were happening in America when it came out. This, I mean, all the records had a point of view and something to say, but this one seemed the most incendiary in terms of speaking directly to... He's pointing fingers. Things that are that we're still talking about now. I mean, this only came out five years ago. None of these conversations have been remotely resolved. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a heavy record too. Yeah, and, and and you said that earlier, like, oh, I didn't expect all of these records to be so heavy. Yeah, I mean, and this one was, you know, to to really get a sense of all of them. Of course, I'd listened to them a bunch, and this one was the one that was. I think at one point I texted you, and I'm like, I need to take a break from these. Yeah. Um, and this one I think was the probably the heaviest. Sure. And he like had traveled to Africa mm-hmm. and and got in touch with like his history and yeah. heritage and all that stuff in order to fully kind of inform this record. And you know, it's a big sprawling. If, uh, and that's the other commonality with all these. They they have a lot in common with a lot of those big personal records of the seventies. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's like the Beatles solo records, which feel like. You know, McCartney's weird sort of sketches and experimentation or Bowie's kind of left field, you know, 
dabbling in other genres. Right. And, 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 and I think maybe that's why they're considered some of the best of the decade because not only are they informed by the past, but they're pointing the way uh, for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, uh, and I do want to clarify. You know, I recognize the the privilege of being able to say, like, you know, this is too much, sure, and I need to stop listening to it. And I don't want to come off as like, I'm this this record makes me sad. <laughs> um, no, I. But no, you know, I, I think any any you know piece of art that's so aggressively and directly engages with you know, these, these heavy cultural, racial, social issues. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it is relentless by design and, you know, (laughs) not maybe meant to be listened to three times in a row while you're at work. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Uh, let's play another song. The question is detrimental, paralyzed in my thoughts Parasites in my stomach keep me with a gut feeling, y'all Gotta see how I'm chilling once I park this luxury car Hopping out, feeling big as Mutombo 20 on pump 6, Dougie Marcellus called me Dumbo 20 years ago, came for gift Now I can lend them my era to How to stack these residuals tenfold The liberal concept that men are due 2006, it didn't hear me Indigenous African only spoke Zulu My American tongue was leery Walked out the gas station A homeless man with a city tan complexion That kind of has a similar progression To something like Pyramid Song by Radiohead mm-hmm. It's got that kind of jazz chord progression Sure uh, But it, it's, it's so much more like laid back and slinky mm-hmm. And just like, but sinister Yeah uh, Not so much laid back or slinky But um, the progression and build uh, on King Kunta, which was the first song you played, yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that, you know, it's got that that great beat and just like, but I mean, that song's a full-blown epic by the end of it. Sure. Yeah, I don't know, uh, for me personally, if I would put this at number one. I think I've lived with a few other ones a little more, but I, I do I do love this record. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that that's like... Uh, you know, those things are kind of trivial at that point. Yeah, you know? we're, we're getting into subjective Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it was a crazy decade for music, I suppose, mm-hmm. in some ways. Uh, it was interesting in the sense that, you know, the way I, we listen to music has drastically changed uh, in that 10-year span. Uh, and I'm some of these I own on CD uh, because they came out earlier, mm-hmm. uh, closer to 2010. Yeah, I mean, really was had Spotify emerged as the sort of significant vehicle for listening to music that it is now when Um, when, what 2010 seems too early yeah oh for sure i think it's probably in the last five years it's really taken hold as the predominant kind of way people listen to things so i mean really i think the prior five maybe itunes in some ways yeah i feel like pandora had emerged by 2010 sure sure i was also kind of like um hanging on to CDs probably a little longer than some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had switched completely to to records. For me, records were always about getting older stuff cheap. Yep. Um, I bought The Wall for five bucks. On sure. CD, it was like 40. Mm-hmm. So that was easy for me. And then at a certain point, it just switched to be like, 
when I love something, then I I purchase it on vinyl. Yeah, I mean, I think 2010, I was still, you know, using my my iPod with the little like the FM radio yeah. um, transmitter. Sure. Because I didn't have an auxiliary jack in my car, so you know you would set your set it to a low band FM station and sure. listen to it that way. But yeah, I, and that was just music that I had and had collected for years and was still acquiring and ripping to my computer and dumping on. But uh, yeah, it is interesting. You know, one one surprising thing too, I, I guess, is uh, you know you get these sort of there are these rumblings that music has sort of turned away from the album back into more you know the more single focus of like sure. an earlier era because now that we have everything in our pockets all the time yeah you know are you're competing for somebody's attention so if you just have you know these great singles shorter bursts of output that can sort of you know grab someone's attention before they move on to the next thing whether or not people have the attention span for for sitting with an album well, well that's Entirely true. I think all of these records, with maybe the exception of the Robin record, they all feel like albums, sure. like album statements. Right, which is what I think, especially with you know the ones that are more the the ones that are closer in terms of their release to where we are now. You know, so uh, of the five, the most recent of them are, are what Lemonade and uh, and, and uh, Blonde. Blonde. Yep. Yeah, and the fact that those are these cohesive albums i mean on the one hand it's reassuring to know that that artists still do care about sure. putting out this big massive um you know collection of works working towards a singular purpose in lemonade though i mean every one of those songs could be a single sure in fact i think five of them were uh which is is crazy it, 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 that feels of another era almost yeah and, oh. but, but it also speaks to the fact that i mean she was a prominent cultural figure when i was in high school yeah, she's been around for a while. Yeah, she, I mean, if anyone on here has staying power, sure. you know, she's proven that. I mean, she's, what, two decades now? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Destiny's Child was late late 90s, mm-hmm. right? Early 2000, followed by Kanye. Yeah. You know, by sheer force of will, will be a prominent cultural figure, whether or not the yeah. the music continues I mean, to be his new not. stuff is all, um, it's all uh, uh, gospel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's supposedly getting in touch with his his Christian um, roots um, and like all the, the new records are all about Jesus, mm-hmm. like all about Jesus. But you know, Dylan had a similar coming to God moment and mm-hmm. he's put out some music after that period, his born again, Christian phase. Um, that's interesting or rel- revelatory. Um, so I don't know. Let's hope he bounces back and it, Less of an idiot. Sure. So was this a rewarding experience for you? Yeah, it was great. Awesome. You know, um, as I've said earlier in this one and in other episodes, I, I get very lazy and fall into comfort zones and uh, patterns with my music sure. consumption. Uh, so this was very rewarding and I'm excited to go forward from these five records. Also, you know, I, I dabbled in some of the the other records we may have mentioned, like that Rihanna record, uh, and St. Vincent. Yep. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, just m- making more of an effort because it's really such a a small ask, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it doesn't take much. No. Um, so, you know, I just want to kind of, before we close up shop, I kind of wanted to maybe mention a few things that I enjoyed from the past decade that uh, didn't 
either were in the margins of these lists or didn't make any kind of lists in general. But, you know, I've talked my fair share about how much I love Radiohead, but they did put out a, a terrific album in the past 10 years, and that's Moonshaped Pool. Uh, and it's beautiful. Uh, and it, it's heartbreaking because, you know, um, Tom York uh, separated with his, his partner, uh, I, I believe, over 20 years. And then she passed away shortly after that uh, from cancer. Um, and it, you feel that on the record. But it's probably their most lush record because, you know, Johnny Greenwood did all the string arrangements. Uh, and I kind of wanted to use that to pivot to his work doing scores for films for the past decade, whether, uh, mostly with Paul Thomas Anderson. But his work for Phantom Thread is gorgeous and something I listen to maybe more than any of this. Um, feels like modern classical music. Um, absolutely beautiful. And then uh, another soundtrack artist that I love is Micah Levy, and she's done the score for a uh, favorite of both of ours, and that's Under the Skin. Uh, and she also did the music for Jackie. And uh, again, real, uh, you know, I know this is maybe I'm saying this too much, but again, the, the through line for me is all this kind of exploratory music and things that not only work to to highlight the what's happening in the movie, but they work on their own. Um, there are some kind of stalwarts or artists that have been around for a long time that put out some of their best work in the past decade, and one of which is uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Unfortunately, um, while recording his record Skeleton Tree, his son died. His son was 15. And he, uh, it was an accident. He fell off of a cliff. So the album is <laughs> probably heavier than anything we've listened to here, but it's it's heartbreaking, and but also cathartic and the follow-up which is ghost teen which is also equally beautiful and him kind of reconciling what had happened and trying to move forward and those are both beautiful records uh as far as rock stuff goes i really like grizzly bear a lot um four-part harmonies and sort of you know off-kilter slightly jazzier arrangements um i like one of tricks point never another experimental electronic group and he's also done a lot of score work uh, recently with the Safdie brothers for um, Good Time and uh, Uncut Gems, which is really popular recently. Um, you know, The National, which I think we've mentioned on the show in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that kind of like elegiac, laid back uh, mood music with a very distinctive singer. Caitlin Aurelia Smith, who does a lot of synth stuff uh, with old modular synths. And I, I do love a good synthesizer. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking forward to artists in the future, FKA Twigs, who's like a pop artist doing kind of stuff in the vein of like what Bjork would do with more experimentation. And Moses Sumney has a new record coming out. I love him a lot. So, yeah, a lot to look forward to and a lot of good stuff. And so, woo, music. Great. Yeah. Uh, so I think that about does it for our best of the decade our music episode. Our, our crash course in crash 10 course. years of music. Yeah. Now go home and listen to the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Report back. <laughs> no promises. None whatsoever. Yeah. No, right. I, yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely plan to um, cool. expand my horizons. It's nice to use the forward. show as a way to kind of sort of be like a, a, a directional for us. Sure. Like this kind of like pointing the way mm -hmm. of kind of like, hey, this is a way to explore these things that maybe we have put off or are on the margins or we haven't given a fair shake. Um, so it's exciting to kind of like introduce to you some things that I, I really loved. So Yeah. And it, you know, I think 
these are prop these five albums are probably for the most part all newer works than anything else we've really discussed yeah i mean the venture brothers sure overlaps during this time period um but i mean the other the other ones the other topics are, are all things that have been around for a lot longer so you know i think it's easier to have an excuse when you're talking about uh you know a hundred year old silent horror movie or a cult favorite band that has this has a following that's very difficult and inaccessible whereas it feels like i have less of an excuse for having not engaged with some of the most important and relevant pop music of the last 10 years yeah a lot of these records sold really well too like lemonade sold a fuck ton of records right right and that's not again speaking to the the current state of music that's not insignificant no 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 not at all so all right that was fun cool all right well we'll talk to you next time see ya Thank you for listening to What Did We Miss? If you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at What Did We Miss? And if you want to drop us a line, our email is whatdidwemisspod at gmail.com. And thanks as always to the What Cheer Writers Club in downtown Providence. For more information, you can go to their website at whatcheerclub.org or follow them on Twitter and Instagram at whatcheerclub.org.